Hello, and welcome to Bad Hasbara, the world's most moral podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Matt Lieb here. So glad that you guys are joining us for another kick-ass episode of this podcast, which has taken over my entire life. Um, Just a reminder, give us five stars in a review over on uh, the, you know, like Apple podcast app and go on Spotify and subscribe there and leave a, you know, a comment under the episode. You can do that now. And, uh, you know, just uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe bell and shit. Um, yeah, I don't know what it does, but people say to hit the bell. So we're going to do that. Just please do that. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash Bad Hasbara, it's in the ticker. I put it there in the ticker. So support us. Um, and finally, if you're in Sacramento, March 17th, that's a Sunday at 7 p.m., please come to the Sacramento Punchline and see me and my wife, uh, Francesca Fiorentini. We're going to be co-headlining at the Sacramento Punchline. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of great people are going to be there. Um, we're going to have a great comic opening for us, and it's just going to be a good time. So please, come. If you're not around, tell your friends who live in the SAC area or in the just general SF Bay area. It's not that far. Or if they just live in the West Coast and they have like a a wife or a husband who's a flight attendant, they can fly for free. So fly to Sacramento and see me and Francesca do stand-up at a club that's in a mini mall next to a mattress store. It's a lot of fun. Please go do that. Okay, I am bringing in my sometimes co-host and one of the best people that I know. He is back. He, he did a little European vacation. I saw the pictures. It looked like a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Mate is back. I'm still grooving to the, the theme song. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were doing Twilight Zone for a second. Well, yeah. the, 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 it's, you know. It's a similar. It's da, da, no, no, it's, it's similar. The one note is different. Da, 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 yeah. da. That's the yeah. Twilight Zone. This is da, 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 da. Yeah, that's right. You, wow. You know, see, that's how I know you're an actual musician. You can hear the difference in one note. You're just like, I know that. I know the difference. How you Perfect doing, buddy? Baby. How are you, Matt? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm, you know, just like, uh, just uh, living my life, trying to uh, do this, trying to hold down a, a thousand different jobs at the same time and not lose my mind and raise my baby. So things are normal and good. That's how things are yeah. here. Yeah. I, uh, when I hear myself say, I'm good, then I remember that you're what lying. time we're living in. And I'm yeah. like, well, <laughs> not that I'm lying, but that I'm, yeah. I don't know, I'm generating that answer. It's not like, yeah you know you have to sort of you're not actually checking some, in some goodness no, that's, i'm not oh, I fully like checking I, in all the way i'm not I checking like in all the way deep down right but i like that you're but also I, I, you're, you're trying to put yeah. out positive energy into the world i am i guess i guess what i'm saying when i'm saying i'm good i'm aligned i'm feeling like oh. i'm given the circumstances i'm being who i want to be who i intend to be and i'm doing what i damn can and doing what i, I do that. and 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 that generally speaking things are 
you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling stuck in the way oh. that I sometimes yeah. might be. So, uh, and I, and unlike last time we recorded an episode, I'm not exhausted. I was really tired last time. Oh, were you? Um, yeah. You just... No, the second last time, the second last time, the one with yeah. Noah Kasman, I was doing all right. Does your yeah. wife, do you, do you guys know, you know, kids in the hall, obviously, right? Oh, of course. Big fans. Are you, are you aware of the, the character Francesca Fiore? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I bring it up a lot. Francesca Fiore. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that yeah. make and of course that ma- that makes you Bruno Panzone. That makes me Bruno Panzone. <laughs> I never really. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, if you're not familiar with the Canadian sketch comedy legends, Kids in the Hall, you should really check them out. I mean, listen, yeah. they got so many great sketches. Who's yeah. to blame for the rain? Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad you're doing good. I'm I'm feeling okay. You know what I would like. You know what I would like? I would like it if uh, I could just do um, the podcast that I want to do in my life and then uh, go on the road and do comedy. But I also have a day job where I produce other people's podcasts. And I don't want to do that mm. anymore, guys. So to, if you want to help me out, you want to help out the world. <laughs> no, just me. You know, sub- subscribe and shit. I don't, I don't fucking know. But listen. Absolutely. This- make this guy's life. Make this guy's life easier. Make it easier for him to do what he loves and what we love. Isn't this guy, aren't, don't we love him folks? Doesn't he, doesn't he help us out in this time? Isn't he he doing an essential service? Hey, I'm, I'm doing something. I don't really know what it is that I do, but people uh, seem to like it. So I'm, I'm just grateful for that. Listen, there's people who are in a lot worse positions than me. And uh, that's so I, I am grateful and I'm grateful to you for being here, dog. I'm, I, I love having you, and uh, I love also having our guest. We have a third chair in the Bad Has Bar pod today. Um, the third chair, the most moral guest. And this, this guest is a historian of Palestine. Um, if you haven't seen his appearances on other people's podcasts, uh, they've been really great, really informative, um, really just fascinating guy, very smart. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone else, welcome Zach Foster. Thank you so much for having me, Matt and Daniel. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, dude. What is going on? Great to be here. Yeah. How about you? You feeling aligned? I'm feeling very aligned. Matt, did you work in tech? Did you work in business? <laughs> Let's get aligned. Dude, I've never I'm worked. the one who said it. Yeah, no. I, 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 I worked at a tech startup for a year and the the startup was um you know when you go on like amazon uh like watching amazon prime and while you're watching the movie it'll tell you what actor is on screen you know that you know that's i worked at currently currently speaking tom cruise as this as this character that's right yeah i worked at a company that was like we're gonna do that and i remember so my job was watch movie make sure a uh, guy on screen is guy we say it is and i was like this is a dream job <laughs> so that's a, this is my one experience working at a tech office so as far as i know uh, tech jobs are when you see movie all day i you can't know? remember that I, I think i think there was I, I seem to remember i don't remember exactly who the mix-up was but i was watching one of those movies with that feature and yeah. it, they just got one actor completely wrong it was like <laughs> 
It was Ice T, but Wallace, they said it was Ice Wallace, Cube. Wallace Shawn. You know, Wallace Shawn was on screen, but they said it's DMX or something. Like I, I can't remember, <laughs> but it was something something ridiculously. Um, I would in, love to hear Wallace. I would love to hear Wallace Shawn <laughs> sing "X Gon Give It to You." <laughs> X Gon Give It to You. That's uh, that's my impression. Get, of him. I mean, I mean, basically, uh, get get at me, get at me, dog. I mean, I mean, actually, really, it's 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 basically the. I mean, isn't that the thing? Is get me. <laughs> this that is, is, after all, how how I think Rough Riders uh, roll. <laughs> that is, um, but Zach, you are someone who uh, I've I've seen a lot of your your tweets um and i've seen a lot of your appearances and when i asked you to be on this podcast you sent me a um a, an old poster of a stand-up comedy show that we were both on in san francisco so i have to ask wait you do do you still do stand-up I'm a retired uh, stand-up comedian at this point in my life. Fair. I okay. will eventually come out of retirement and return to the stage when the time, when the correct time presents itself. But that time has yet to come. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're 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 waiting. You're, you're waiting in the wings. You're gonna figure out your time of when you're gonna just start busting out those jokes. I mean, I I was like shocked at it because like it was. It was an older poster. It had like uh, kind of all the Bay Area classics, uh, you know, yeah. like at least if you were in the open mic scene in the Bay Area uh, comedy scene in like circa 2013, I believe. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, I think it was like 2017 or 18. But yeah. Oh, enough. was it? Oh, man. Could, could have been the same people. It could have been the same people in the open mic scene in 2013 as 2018. That was, would not surprise me. Yeah, this is about, this is probably, it definitely is. Um, but uh, so I wanted to ask, uh, you started, when did you start, um, when did this start becoming something that you were interested in? I, I'd love to hear about your history. Um, I mean, your own personal history would be interesting too about like, uh, you know, uh, if you grew up with Zionism, you're, you're uh, Jewish, uh, am I correct about that? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So I'd love yeah, that's to hear right. your yeah, personal I, history. Totally. Yeah, I grew up Jewish. Uh, I grew up very Jewish. Uh, went to Jewish schools. Uh, went to Jewish uh, Zionist summer camps, Jewish Zionist youth groups. Went to Israel with my Jewish Zionist youth group. Can I ask um, which uh, which Jewish Zionist youth group? Because I was in one too. Oh, yeah, multiple. So I, I was first part of Kadima when I was in middle school. Yeah. And then I was part of both BBYO as well as USY. Don't okay. ask me what those letters stand for. Well, bring um, United, your... United Synagogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bring bring your bring own... your own occupation. What, what gonna... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think BBYO was like the Reform or more secular Jewish mm -hmm. Zionist youth group, and then USY was the conservative with a capital C conservative yeah. Jewish youth group. The latter. Um, uh, was the group that sent me to Israel when I was, what, 15, 16? Mm. On one of these Hasbara trips, you go to Poland for a, a week. <clears throat> you tour the concentration camps, uh, Auschwitz, Sobibor, mm -hmm. etc. You're taught that. Uh, and then you, after a week of, the, a hellish week of, of, of sorrow and, uh, um, and, tra and, and just, just, you know, trauma. you're crying for a whole trauma and, 
uh, just driving two hours into a forest and just seeing a, a mound of, right. of ash, then you're taken directly to Israel uh, where you're taught that this is the solution to 2000 years of Jewish persecution and suffering. Hmm. It's such um, a great, it's a, such a great pedagogy. It's like teaching history antonymically, like you get op like opposites together It'd be like, this is the good part of history. Right. And this is the bad part of history. And the good part of history solved the bad part of history. Yeah. Yeah. Famously. Such 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 nuance and, and, <laughs> and, and depth and sophistication to that way of teaching. Yeah. yeah. No, I like when things it's, well, are it's, it, it's both black and white. <laughs> that's uh, that's all the colors. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that was a fun uh, trip. And that that got me super interested in Israel. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, I, I don't think I knew what Palestine was. I don't think I had ever met a Palestinian, despite having spent, what, five weeks in the Holy Land. Wow. Um, that, uh, and, and so that, that got me interested in Israel. And so started, started uh, you know, le learning more, studying more, did, taking Israel classes in at university, and then even spent a semester in Jerusalem as an undergrad where I first encountered Palestinians, yeah. right? Um, you know, almost to my surprise, to my shock, right? I, here I thought I was going to, uh, <clears throat> you know, the... the, the the holy city of Jerusalem to, you know, experience all that Jerusalem has to offer and was rudely awoken when actually, um, it, Jerusalem I, I, had too much to offer. <laughs> You're like, um, yeah. yeah, I was like, wait, how come the Arabs also make falafel? That's interesting. That's yeah. really curious. Yeah. Um, but, wow. And There's you know, the cultural Arabs appropriators. Yeah. Why'd they steal it from the Jews? <laughs> Get your like, own food. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so that was sort of the entry point for me, and that led me to do a month-long trip in the Balkans on a on a on a on a kind of a, a trip called Abraham's Vision, which is now defunct, but it was a group of half Jews, half American Jews, half American Palestinians mm. traveling around the Balkans for a month, trying to de-exceptionalize Israel-Palestine, trying to learn how people, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, trying to learn how uh, you know ethnic groups are in conflict around the world. Yeah. Well, so it, I'm curious. I'm curious, Zach, like you know, with your historical lens looking back now, um, what did that reveal? Because I love hearing about de-exceptionalizing. I mean, that's like a out of left field, but mm -hmm. so obvious when you think about it. It's the opposite of what I was joking about with the with the birthright kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know, putting things in context. And this conflict in particular is so... It has such a gravitational pull and it can seem so exceptional. And that's important in some ways to understand the particularities. But you also get into the places that I hate getting into where people like, how can the Jews go from victim to victimizer or like mm -hmm. blah, 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 and not seeing the, the bigger picture. So what do you see as the, the universals? What do you see as the particularities and what's the value in, in that perspective? Yeah, it, obviously there are important and significant differences between the conflicts in the Balkans in the 90s and Israel-Palestine. Sure. But there are also some very interesting similarities and parallels, mm -hmm. <clears throat> one of which is, you know, the Serbs talk about Kosovo the same way uh, Israelis talk about Judea and Samaria, as they would call it. I, I, interesting. The, yeah. the, the occupied Palestinian West Bank, right? So, oh, the Battle of Kosovo in 1389, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, really? Yeah. And then yeah. you go to Kosovo and you're like, why are there these little Serbian enclaves militarized mm -hmm. like these little neighborhoods where they have special privileges and special rights and they're kind of scattered all around Albania, sorry, Albanian Kosovo. Right. Um, and it's just like, wow, that's settlers. 
<laughs> Listen, I mean, that's a very politicized word, Daniel. Um, no, they, they are. <laughs> they, they are, in fact, settlers, right? So, it, you know, Serbia basically invaded and conquered Kosovo, you know, the same way Israel invaded and conquered the West Bank and established colonies in the West Bank, the same way Serbia established colonies in Kosovo. So it's a very similar dynamic. Yeah. Um, so yes, they are in fact settlers. That's a good. That's a good word to 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 use to describe them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so just so for my own clarity, so that trip, uh, who uh, who organized that trip to uh, de exceptionalize the Israel Palestine conflict? So th there was an organization which I believe is now defunct, but mm. it it was it was known as Abraham's Vision, mm. and it was founded by some Bay Area Jews and Palestinians, if I'm not wrong. There's a guy by the name of Aaron Han Tapper. Maybe mm -hmm. you're familiar with him. Mm -mm. And um, there is Ziad Abu Rish was one of the staff members on that trip. He's a historian, I believe, in somewhere in Ohio. He's based. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> it was a kind of a joint venture of of, of Israelis and you know Jewish Americans, Jewish Israelis, Palestinians. I see. So this wasn't a Hezbollah trip. This was this was something where you actually uh, you were learning about these other conflicts as they did actually relate not as uh, some sort of excuse as to why to normalize this type of conflict no that that's exactly right in fact okay. many mm -hmm. of the organizers of this trip were themselves graduates of seeds of peace and mm -hmm. were you know seeds of peace this movement mm -hmm. in the 90s bring israelis and palestinians together and talk about falafel and hummus and how we all oh wow judaism and islam have so much in common mm -hmm. but 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 the problem with oslo's that here folks everything's going to be great yeah. let's share recipes <laughs> <laughs> but as you well know the the problem with <clears throat> with that approach is that Israelis go back to their lives where they have political rights, where they vote for the government that controls their lives. Palestinians go back to their lives where they're occupied, where they're living in a state of apartheid, where they do not vote for the government that controls their lives. Right. And so actually what Seeds of Peace was doing is just papering over, was making Israelis feel good about occupation and apartheid. Palestinians go home feeling like total shit. And yeah. so Abraham's vision was a response to that and said, no, 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 no. We're putting politics front and center. We're gonna we're gonna hash out these issues. We're gonna talk about politics. We're gonna talk about the Nakba. We're gonna talk about occupation, etc. Yeah, seeds of peace sounds to me like a legitimate use of the word normalization, which is a mm -hmm. word that gets tossed around a lot. I've been accused of it, mm -hmm. and I would take it personally, except I've seen some of the most radical and wonderful Palestinian voices that I know also accused of it. It's right. kind of a knee jerk thing for anyone who. I don't know, speaks the country who shall not be named's name. But mm -hmm. when you describe seeds of peace, that I get that normalization vibe of basically papering over the material differences, acting as if they don't matter, trying to jump to some sort of vibes-based conclusion and <laughs> in the process erasing very real material power differentials, which would have to be rectified in any peaceful situation. Yeah. I think Seeds of Peace suffered from fundamentally the same problem that Oslo suffered from, which was that yeah. you have the Israeli government is both party to the Oslo Accords, right? So, and, and the Seeds of Peace would be that Jews are basically have all the power, right? But it, basically, Israel has all the power. They're both party to this agreement, but they're also the enforcer of the agreement. Right. And then they can also change the rules of the agreement. Mm -hmm. um, so, Darth Vader style, pray I don't <laughs> change them further. Yeah. So, you know. Who wouldn't want to play in a soccer match where your opponents get to... Is Darth Vader. 
I, I hope, I'm keeping this going. <laughs> I hope so, Abbas, for your sake. Ben Gvir is not as forgiving as I am. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting uh, the, that you, Daniel, you brought up, you know, th this idea of uh, normalization is um, a pejorative, uh, especially, you know, in, uh, bringing up the name, uh, you know, just in like some people have said it for, you know, oh, saying Israel rather than the Zionist entity or something, which is like, no, it's actually like the, cr it's the crumbling Zionist settler colonial entity, which is super catchy. Yeah, very, yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, which is like, for me, I, I always, you know, I, I try to be sensitive, uh, to, uh, the, I would say what I would call a general sentiment around, um, you know, uh, verbiage or whatever, not like yeah. around language, because everyone does have like different lines and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to change the entire way I speak based on a single tone policeman, because, a cab includes tone policing. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. But uh, like, you know, Zach, as someone who's like a, an academic, as someone who is uh, a historian, who understands the history of the region of uh, Israel, of uh, the Zionist entity, whatever you want to call it, I want to ask, um, is the preferred nomenclature uh, Israel or is it is well, not real? Yeah, is not real. <laughs> <laughs> which which is the one I should use because Israel I feel like is like it's almost a good pun but every time I see it it just remind, <laughs> reminds me of when people would call call him a Barack Obama and it'd be like mm, it doesn't I always hit. preferred I I always preferred Matt Chrisman's Obungler yeah Obungler is great because it's got that yeah. that sense of using it ironically but it's also fun earnestly. <laughs> So it also what, makes me think of. It also sounds like the Hamburglar to me somehow. <laughs> yeah, which is a nice image. Matt, <laughs> rubble, Matt, rubble, <laughs> rubble, rubble. You're steal. You're stealing my thunder here. My my best Israel Palestine joke, in that set that I sent to you, was I think it's, it was something to the effect of you know, Israel is not so much of a pal of Stein. Wow. Uh, uh, Listen, we all have our strengths. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, in a, in a more uh, serious note, talking about just the um, the use of the nation's name, uh, for example, is something that you've you've gone into in terms of the Hezbollah myths on the history of the word Palestine or Palestinians, um, or just like you know uh, the total erasure of the people in this kind of like broad. Um, movement of delegitimization of you know the rights of these individuals. Um, can you speak more on on that and kind of the way that that Hezbar is used uh, today? Yeah, so there's there's been a hundred year long history. Uh, it dates all the way back to the 1920s, by the way, mm. of <clears throat> this desire among first Zionists and then Israelis to pretend as though these people who are living in Palestine before the Zionists showed up to pretend as if, A, they never called the place Palestine, and B, they never called themselves Palestinians. Mm -hmm. This is critical to the Zionist story because the Zionist story is all about creating a Jewish state in Palestine, uh, um, <clears throat> a Jewish a state in Palestine. And, you know, what a, wouldn't it be great if these people were Arabs or maybe they were Southern Syrians or maybe right. they just called the place Syria? 
that means we don't have to share this land because these people may as well just go to all these other Arab countries. They're or, squatters. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so, so this is the narrative. Um, it's all fiction, right? In mm -hmm. fact, Palestinians were calling themselves Palestinian. We have evidence, at least, that the, the, they were calling themselves Palestinian before Zionism was even a thing. Mm. Um, as were the Jews of Palestine, weren't they? Right. They were Palestinian Jews, just <laughs> yes. as Syrian Jews were Syrian. Yeah. It, so the word Palestinian in English has an also a very interesting history. In the 19th century, everything and anything in Palestine was just described as Palestinian. Mm. So Palestinian Jewry, because you had Jews obviously living in Palestine, you know, Palestinian uh, um, <clears throat> plants, you know, uh, um, and it was also, um, and, and then after 1920, when the British established a mandate for Palestine, then the British in 1925 published this pamphlet where they talk about Palestinian citizenship and Palestinian nationality. And they're very explicit. They say Palestinian citizenship applies to Jews, Muslims, and Christians, not just Muslims and Christians. They're like all three it, it, responding to they are because the word has already come into use in Arabic and in English to refer to the primarily the Muslim and Christians of Palestine, not so mm. much the, the the European Zionist immigrants. Right. Uh, question uh, and a com question and a comment, Zach. Yeah. Number one, you talked about the Palestinian plants. Let me put this to you, Mister History Wise Guy. Was the cherry tomato listed? Mm -hmm. If not, it's checkmate. Sorry, Zionism yeah. wins. Was it in there? Was it in there? That's a very that was one of Gaza's number one exports, if I'm not wrong. The cherry tomato. Was it really? I believe it was. Um Are you serious? I think the I think the residents of Naples would disagree. The Vesuvian uh cherry tomato they claim that they invented that. But I'm I'm so, so we got it was one of Gaza's exports when? If I'm not wrong, prior to Israel's siege on Gaza, which began right. really in two thousand five, six, seven. Um, I mean, it, it, it sort of it began really all, going all the way back to 1990. Okay, but you're not saying that you're not saying that Palestinians invented the cherry tomato because if you do, if you say that, I will kill myself. That's right. Uh, that's a very good question. I don't know who invented the cherry tomato. Oh, okay, good. Israel, 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 Israel claims to. It's, it's in the theme Israel. song to this. It was, it's it's yeah. in the it's in the theme song yeah. to this podcast. It's in the theme song to my life, bro. If they didn't <laughs> invent the cherry tomato, then I don't know what's real. I, I yeah. was at your wedding. It was in your it was in your wedding vows. <laughs> That's right. I, I pledge to love you, honor you, <laughs> keep you safe. Uh, Israel invented the cherry tomato. <laughs> That's right. Um, now, but here's here's my comment. Just just to interject, because mm -hmm. on this topic of the name Palestine, I saw mm -hmm. the funniest talking point. Yeah. And for a while, like a number of these Hasbar Hasbots Hasbarats mm -hmm. on on Twitter yeah. were saying it. They're yes. like. And Michael Rappaport, I think, was saying it. It's like, all right, you geniuses. How do you say Palestine in Arabic? You can't. There's yes. no P in Arabic. They say Daniel. P. And I, and, I said, and I said to them, great. Why don't you go ahead and say Jew, Jerusalem, or Judea in Hebrew? You, you incredible <laughs> moron. It's, it's not just Yehuda, Rappaport. Yehudim, Yerushalayim. Uh -huh. You have Israeli members of the par Israeli parliament, the Knesset, saying the same thing, right? So you don't need to cite idiots like Rappaport. You can actually cite Israeli politicians voted <clears throat> into office who say the same thing. Um, by the way, how do you? how is it that Egyptians say Egypt? Because there's no P in Arabic, so apparently Egyptians aren't from Egypt. because They're from Egypt. Um, <laughs> it's, it's almost as if words 
like place names are different mm. in different languages. <laughs> this it's the funniest argument, but I have a video of it. Palestine, the only country in the world that was already occupied before it ever existed. It's also the only country in the world where its people cannot pronounce the first letter of their own country's name. They simply don't have that in their alphabet. Just look if the French wouldn't have had the foot that could be sadly mistaken for a salad dressing. Or if the Russians wouldn't have had the r. Or if the British wouldn't have had the b. Instead just, of trying to rewrite history, writing, try writing a better future, make Hamas surrender, bring back our hostages, and a hundred years of jihadist war against the Jews, and stop fucking lying about the alphabet. <laughs> this woman exemplifies the Israeli approach to irony, which is they yes. can't do it. They yeah. have to lapse into a kind of campy sarcasm that deflates any possibility for any making any like any headway any, in making any, a any point. cogent point <laughs> i mean That's like right. like especially when the, the, you you can't name all those countries you know the, the b in britain the f in france and then <laughs> be like the the j in oh fuck Oh fuck! Um, the yeah. the uh, the in Yahadut no uh uh you no uh like these guys they cannot they they cannot process and, and here's the thing I don't even no, believe yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead you know the Israeli national anthem right Hatikva mm -hmm. yeah it, and you know uh Jehudi that's how it goes right? that's how it goes yeah and yeah, my yeah. favorite. My favorite song, you know, uh, in Hebrew, Jerusalem of Gold, that goes, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. Jer Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> Shells are hot. But, like, you know. It, you, you, just... guys, you guys know that, it, you know, it, 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 in the 1980s, Israel actually banned use of the word Palestine in Palestine. Yeah. Right. And in, in fact, the, the Bank of Palestine, which was a bank in Gaza, was shut down when Israel occupied Gaza in 67. And when the bank was set to reopen uh, after, you know, a 14 year hiatus in 1980-81, the Israeli military said, OK, fine, we'll let you keep the name Bank of Palestine because it was grandfathered in. But the, but 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 no other institutions or organizations or societies or companies could use the word Palestine in its wow. name because, of course, that would be endangering Israelis and Jews. Mm. And and, you know, I just thought to myself, you know, guys. Like Palestine, 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 Palestine. Yeah. Like, just take cover. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Like, You're hurting me. It's, it's the it's the Candyman of place names. <laughs> yeah, I know. Say it three times into a mirror, Watch and then you out. get to own someone else's home. You're gonna get smacked in the face by my saliva. Yeah. That's that's when the that's when the watermelon symbol took root, right? In the eighties, mm -hmm. as a as a as a way of getting around that. Well, that, that, that's actually another great point. That was for a different reason, because they not only banned mm. the name Palestine, but they also banned paintings made from, or any artwork that used those four colors, red, green, black, and white. And in fact, Fatih Ravan, who was just recently murdered by the Israeli military in Gaza last week, okay, after living for decades and decades and decades under Israeli military occupation, uh, finally uh, um, was, was murdered just a week ago. But in 1982, Fatih Rabban painted a painting using those four colors and sat six months in an Israeli prison for that. Wow. 
it's 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 fucking crazy and just like you know to me it's just that you can draw such a clear parallel between any kind of fascist regime that tries to erase history including the nazis trying to erase jewish history um you know during the holocaust i mean you know not to quote a movie instead of something like historical like a doc or something but like it reminds me of uh Eamon gareth uh in schindler's list uh talking about uh, uh you know we're gonna we're erasing jewish history today that history ends it never happened like that whole scene it just feels it just feels so disgustingly similar because you just see um you know this delegitimization um become so normalized that people will use arguments like there's no p in the arab alphabet and not even like like not even think about it not even consider how stupid of an argument that is uh, they they just it just be, it becomes it's just a part of the narrative you know it's it's not just the name palestine it's not just the four colors green black red and white it's everything about palestinian identity and palestinian culture and palestinian history in the past 5 months the Israeli military has obliterated every single historical and archaeological site in Gaza. Wow, wow. They've, de they've demolished the Gaza municipal archives. Uh, <sighs> they destroyed Salim al-Raisi's uh, 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 antique shop, wow. which I was recently, I was, I had the fortune and privilege of being able to visit very recently mm. um, and bought hundreds and hundreds of documents off him, which as yeah, far as I know... You were in Gaza weeks before October 7th, right? That's right. Wow. And, and bought about 600 documents off of him, which as far as I can tell, are the last rest, uh, vestiges of that archival collection, which wow. is, which was probably the, the largest private collection of documents related to Palestinian history and all of historic Palestine was obliterated by the Israeli military. They're trying mm -hmm. to erase everything. They, right. they, they, they go into the archives and they conceal documents. By the way, documents that were previously open. They're yeah. going in, purging the archives of any evidence that Israeli committed war crimes in 48 or in 67. Um, they destroy yeah. Palestinian homes uh, in order to, <clears throat> in 48, to prevent them from returning, to, pre to pre prevent people from even knowing that there were Palestinian villages here. Right. The, it's, yeah. it's a it complete erasure of an entire people. And it's and it's very uh, it's calculated that way. I mean, they understand as the Nazis did that culture is a repository of memory, and the you know it reminds me of that line from The Wire. I like to use wire quotes on this podcast as much as possible because I'm trying to butter Matt up. Uh, you. <laughs> you remember what you remember what Brother Muzon said to his mm. to his uh, bodyguard? You know, you know what yes, the most I dangerous do. thing is in America? Yeah. You know, and he says, you know, basically the a Negro with a with a library card. Yes, you know, yes. and and the most dangerous thing to Israel is Palestinians' memory because their memory yes. is their connection to the land to which they belong, as opposed to Israel, which wants the the land to belong to them. Right. It's it's their connection to indigeneity and culture is uh, is it's a kind of architecture that allows memory to to transmit itself from lador vador, as we say in Hebrew, right, mm -hmm. from generation to generation. Right. And they think somehow that someday the day will come where they can actually obliterate that. And it's, I mean, it's galling and gutting and horrific that what they're doing, but they, they're not going to succeed no matter what they yeah. do. Yeah. You, you are, uh, th there was a Nakba law passed, I believe it was 2011 in Israel. <clears throat> and I believe the law stated that you could not receive any public funding 
if you're we're commemorating the Nakba, if your organization or society uh, was <clears throat> commemorating the ethnic cleansing of 750,000 Palestinians in 1948, you would be denied public funding. And <clears throat> in 2021-22, Israel also declared six Palestinian NGOs terrorist organizations, mm -hmm. which turned out to be obviously false, right? This is just Israeli nonsense. In the EU, uh, a few months later, basically said, actually, these are human rights organizations documenting human rights violations by and, and terrorist actions by the state of Israel. Um, but it, it's all part of the same initiative, which is to erase Palestinian memory, to erase Palestinian civil society, to right. con press control, alt delete on the Palestinians. Yeah. Now it also uh, works. It also works on the Israeli population because if you convince, yes. if you can convince yes. your people that you're not destroying anything beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Right. The the beauty of Palestinian culture, the human resourcefulness and universe. I mean, what culture is is indigenous and local, but it also has universalist potential right. or because people might relate to what you're. If they understood the lyrics of your, I mean, Palestinian lyrics. My God, I've been to some concerts here in Brooklyn where they projected the lyrics on the walls. Just the absolute sensual love of that land and the way it's related to courtship and and you know, fragrances and, mm -hmm. and the plant life and the animal life and all this kind of stuff. Any human being with a beating heart and any art in their soul might be stirred by that. And Israelis cannot know that Palestinians are human like that. They cannot know because if they knew, they wouldn't have such an easy time consenting to this. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and and it feels like that. Um, you know, I think one of the more, uh, you know, shocking and disgusting um, parts about uh, that attempt in you know to dehumanize Palestinians is that it is not just something that is done for the sake of the Israeli psyche. Um, you know, and putting their minds at ease at living in this, you know, um, you know, complete and li living in, under apartheid and having to change your narrative in order to accept that. It's that you're expected to as uh, as a Westerner, um, as a diaspora Jew, as just someone who lives in the United States, just, to, you know, anyone. You're expected to go along with it. You're expected to also see them as um, nothing but a you know collection of squatter Arabs, and um, just that attempt, uh, you know, to to do that, to to make that, you know, it, it's it all seems to be, um, at this point, just it's you're it seems to be expected of people it seems to be expected and to stray from that uh immediately immediately gets you tarred as being an anti-semite as being someone who hates you which makes being a historian a subversive thing to be uh, yes if you're gonna do exactly. your job it you know it's it's funny because like even even within um even within israel they don't they don't like calling uh, a palestinian israelis palestinian right they're called mm -hmm. arabs they're Arab right. Israelis. That's right. right? Arab Israelis. Because, you know, <clears throat> part of this strategy of erasing the idea that th these people, um, A, have a connection to Gazan Palestinians and West Bank Palestinians. So you want to sever, mm -hmm. divide and rule, um, create divisions. Um, that makes it much harder for Palestinians in all of historic Palestine to feel a, a shared identity, a shared <clears throat> a, a, a sense of of. Uh, Palestinianness, mm -hmm. um, and in fact, in fact, even it, organ media it, it, uh, outlets 
uh, like Haaretz. And maybe saying it after October 7th wouldn't surprise people because after October 7th, Haaretz has basically turned into a mouthpiece of the Israeli military. Right, right. Uh, even though I think before October 7th, there was this uh, a perception, uh, uh, f- false or not, that it was sort of represented the Israeli left. Right. I think that perception is gone. But it's kind of on the margins of their reporting done a little bit of, well, maybe the things that we were told about October 7th weren't true. Like they've gone after the gray zone while corroborating a lot of what the gray zone, you know, went ahead and, and revealed. Sure. Look, if, if you if you land on which is let's get back to Haaretz in a second. But even even a media outlet like Haaretz, uh, according to Sally Abid. Who it, it, she 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 mentioned this in a podcast, and honestly, this was breaking news to me, but was but was barely was not reported about about by anybody else. She from mentioned standing together, yeah, from standing together. That's exactly right. She mentioned she submitted an article to Haaretz, and she called you know Palestinians inside Israel. She called them Palestinians, and the Haaretz editorial staff changed it to Arabs. Wow, and I'm like. Bro, yeah. how are you? This is like that is honestly just total erasure. They're yeah. complicit in the erasure of the Palestinian people. If a Palestinian Israeli in her own article wants to call herself a Palestinian, you're saying no, you're not allowed to call yourself Palestinian. That's just fucking insane. Yeah. But no, I mean, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah. Only that we, you know, the word erasure gained a lot of traction in the 2010s inside of social justice circles. Sure. And any of these words, which come down from ivory tower circles and become popularly used, can become a kind of jargon that you can start to tune out at a certain point because they yeah. can start to sound hyperbolic or overheated. Mm-hmm. Of course, the people who are using them really, they, they, they mean them quite seriously, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a little, you know. But in this case, this is a case where you get that yeah. rhetorical erasure yes. is a precursor to literal erasure Erasure. yeah you know and uh the other thing i'll say is that it kind of uh ruins one of my favorite 80s euro trash pop songs a little respect by the group erasure yeah it ruins a little bit of (laughs) ruins my favorite solo tom york album the eraser um <laughs> but uh, we need to re- we need to remake that uh who is it Cronenberg Lynch made uh, Eraserhead we have to make Eraserhead yeah, Eraserhead yeah Hey everyone Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th Why March 17th you ask well <laughs> because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday March 17th at 7 p.m. With my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline. And now I'm asking for you to do it again. That's right. If you are in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th. 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesack.com and uh, buying your tickets. Do it. And if you can't go, hey, maybe you have friends who are in the area, and you you know you can tell them, like, hey, you like comedy. Come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife. 
who also does a podcast. It'll be great. So, yes, please come. Sacramento Punchline, March 17th. That's a Sunday at 7 p.m. Come, enjoy, laugh, love. All right. Um, yeah, uh, just getting back to um, what, Daniel, you were mentioning about <clears throat> kind of uh, Haaretz's um, uh, positioning within the discourse, so so to speak, um, and, uh, you know, either both in Israel and outside of Israel, the perception outside of Israel of Haaretz is that it is the um, you know, the New York Times of uh, Israel. It's the one that not is not a the compliment. Most, yeah, not well. <laughs> the people <laughs> saying it think it's a compliment, <laughs> and I'm like, I sort of agree with you. <laughs> Actually, I'd both, rather be both. I'd rather be called the New York Post of Israel at this point. <laughs> yeah, at this point, yeah. At least, the, at least the fucking you know headlines will be punny. Yeah, but um, exactly. yeah, so. In, you know, uh, I would love to hear what you have to say about that, Zach, uh, with regards to um, the work that is done at Haaretz and, uh, you know, how closely aligned it is with um, the military state there and whether or not um, it gets too much credit for occasionally being like, sometimes we do bad or if it's, you know, if it deserves that credit. Well, first of all, let's let's state an important point, which is Haaretz does allow a, a journalist like Gideon Levy, like Amir Haas, yes. to, to publish what they want. So mm -hmm. this is not to say that every single thing published <clears throat> under uh, uh, under the Haaretz name is is propaganda. No, there, there's serious journalism taking place there, and there are also opinion pieces that you would very clearly identify as um, very uh, sympathetic to uh, the Palestinians and essentially calling out Isra Israeli society for being a genocidal society, uh, yeah. which is basically every piece that Gideon Levy has written in the past few months is basically saying, look, our society has turned genocidal. Right. Um, so so they will publish that stuff. But at the same time, if you just land... Gideon you, Levy, who has to walk with bodyguards wherever he goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But if you... I didn't know that, though. That's very interesting. Um, if, if, you, if you just flip open the Haaretz landing page, I mean, it's... You know, if it, think back to like, um, you know, it, it's sort of like, it, it's kind of like you got this big war ticker, you know, the number mm -hmm. of Israeli hostages, like, you know, the number of, Isra you know, what, how many Israelis died on October or were killed on October 7th, you know, basically center, obviously centering Israeli victims um, and completely ignoring and omitting Palestinian victims. That is the general vibe. And there was even, I, I, I tweeted about this uh, maybe a week or two ago, but I, at, at one point I just loaded the homepage and it was literally like, 10 out of the 11 stories that the first 10 out of the 11 stories I'm scrolling through are basically like, you know, Israeli military, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, to achieve success in its uh, Operation Khan Yunis, uh, right. you know, basically regurgitating Israeli military spokesperson, you mm -hmm. know, regurgitating Israeli military propaganda, citing the Israeli military as if it's a reliable source yeah. rather than pure fucking propaganda. Yeah. I mean, Did you clock what let, they said about the flower massacre the other day. Oh yes, yes. I haven't. I didn't see. Um. Oh. Oh. What Haaretz said about it, yeah. or what? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Oh no, I. I, I haven't seen. I have not yeah. seen what Haaretz said about it, but uh, I have seen what the IDF has tweeted about it, which we will get into uh, very soon. 
Yeah. So I think Haaretz obviously is, it, it, you know, it, it's clearly torn. But also, if you listen to the Haaretz podcast, I don't know if you've listened to that podcast. It's they have an, they have an English language pod. I um, I need to. I didn't. Oh. I, right now, I'm stuck on um trying to get through uh, Elon Levy's podcast, uh, the uh, Israel, the state of a nation, and that uh, fucker. The fucker has a, a podcast. He in the Kendall game, Roy baby. Ha- Kendall Kendall Roy Levy has a podcast. Yeah, he in the game. You did you see his? Game. Did you see his pep rally for Gen Zers? He's oh like, my God, Gen Zionist. Like, Gen, <laughs> let's make Gen Z Gen Zionist. And he, there's like a point in the video where he does this, like he like puts his finger to his ear, like I can't hear you, and it's the most Kendall Roy ass shit I've ever seen. It's like L to the OG, like like yeah. hello fellow kids, like Zionism's cool, you know, like I am so in touch. Yeah, he just wants. He just wants his Twitter to be fire. He just, that's all he wants. Well, no. he killed a he 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 killed a kid. You know, he's got he's got something to hide. Wait, he uh, oh Kendall did. I was like, what? Tell me more about Ayla. Uh, but but uh, no, I have not listened to the Haaretz podcast. Tell me about it. I mean, the first I would say it took them maybe three months after October seventh uh, to say anything other than pure Israeli military propaganda. I mean, I I had, that was a podcast I actually listened to uh, almost religiously. I mean, generally speaking, I thought before October 7th, actually, it was relatively insightful. Mm -hmm. Um, They bring on people who uh, have varied opinions. After October 7th, it just turned into uh, a, 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 basically, you know, they bring on an Israeli military spokesperson. Oh, the, the military has achieved its mission in, in Khan Yunis. We've okay. killed the 5,000 Hamas terrorists. And then and the host just nods and smiles and there's no pushback and there, there's no critical approach at all. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, just it became, po- it's pod save Israel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and look, they, 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 you know, 95% of Israelis, according to a January 2024 poll, Either they said either we believe the Israeli military is using the appropriate amount of force in Gaza or not enough, not enough force. force. Yeah. Okay. 95%, excuse me, of Jewish Israelis held that right. view. And Haaretz is very much a Jewish Israeli publication. So obviously um, they're going to reflect that kind of mainstream view within Israel, which is basically pro genocide. Yeah. Comment and a question. Uh, you know, it, it takes me back to the thing that radicalized me to begin with at age 15, which was Noam Chomsky documentary, Manufacturing Consent. Mm. And the, the key observation of that that I've never lost is that it's actually the liberal side of the spectrum that gets to set the bounds of acceptable debate. The New York Times right. is, is the dangerous one because it basically lets people think that they're, you know, that they're, they have good values and that they're thoughtful and they think about things very deeply. Right, the you know, unbiased and, arbiters and, of truth. That's right, with a moral yeah. conscience, right? Yes. Wrestling with the legacy of Vietnam or like agonizing mm. about Iraq. But when it comes down to it in the crunch, in the moment of truth, they'll absolutely go along with it. And when it's when it's way too late to make a difference, then they'll start stroking their chins and be like, hmm, maybe this and that. As long as it's speculative and as long as it as long as their opposition to the mainstream hegemonic narrative can make no difference. It's it's more insidious, and this is why I find liberals more nauseating than conservatives <laughs> yes. who at least have 100%. the courage of their of of their their antisocial sociopathic yes. convictions. Yes. My question is, and maybe it's just sort of a, a small point, but speaking of Israeli media, is nine seven two mag still a factor? Nine seven two is, uh, in my view, um, the best Israeli publication. Period. 
the mm-hmm. reporting is excellent. There was a uh, in November a piece by Yuval Abraham who just recently won that award in yeah. Berlin. Oh, wow. For the documentary that anti, that, that anti-semite israeli yeah. jew that, yeah i'm so glad that those germans got that freaking jew to shut up you know because uh, otherwise something anti-semitic might have happened <laughs> like, the anti-semitic was, jew will be silent yeah, yeah, yeah. we will destroy the history of the jew who the anti-zionist jew i want to point that out schnell so, judenraus respect <laughs> jewish history <laughs> Germany will be Judenrein, but only for anti-Zionists, okay? Um, so uh, according to his, uh, I forget when in November he published the piece, but you can go look it up. It, it was a, it was an in-depth investigation mm-hmm. around basically what is considered a, 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 an appropriate target. Right. Um, and he and he, he interviews a, a, a dozen some uh, sources within the Israeli military, people who are in charge of the Gaza operations, and the, the results are conclusive the homes are the targets yeah okay that was very direct in the yes. reporting the israeli military How do you say anything in hebrew koldavar that's a legitimate target everything yeah yeah civilian infrastructure uh, uh apartment oh, apartment Zach's blocks gone yeah he'll come back i assume his internet died hey he's back i, I still see him i saw him the whole time Oh, oh, was oh. it my internet that fucked up? <laughs> oh, quit projecting, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, hey, everyone, Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th. Why March 17th, you ask? Well, <laughs> because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline, and now I'm asking for you to... Do it again. That's right. If you're in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th, 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, Someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesac.com and uh buying your tickets do it and if you can't go hey maybe you have friends who are in the area and you you know you can tell them like hey you like comedy come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife who also does a podcast it'll be great so yes please come sacramento punchline march 17th that's a sunday at 7 p.m come enjoy laugh love all right uh yeah where were we um, so, so yeah, basically 972 is, is a very, um, it, it, you know, the reporting is excellent. Um, you know, it, they just recently hired a Palestinian Israeli to, to run the, as editor in chief. Um, you know, mm. it's, 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 it's obviously an independent publication entirely, right. uh, um, funded by its readers and its viewers. They have a great podcast as well. So I, I think 972 is excellent. Mm-hmm. And they also, I think have a partnership with, was it Kalkalist, I think. Um, but basically, they, they are um, as good as it gets um, as far as, you know, uh, journalism goes inside Israel. Of course, you have Arab publications as well. You have Arab Tamenu Arba'in, which is um, Maidan. They have an excellent podcast called Maidan, run mm-hmm. by Abed Abu Shahede. Um, and and he, he interviews, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, um, basically mostly Palestinians inside Israel, talking about, uh, you know, issues primarily relevant to Palestinians inside Israel. And by the way, 
Speaking of erasure, if you want to talk about erasure, I know this may have been triggering to you because this is an academic word, but but like, I mean, what has happened to the Palestinians inside Israel has been totally remarkable. No one is talking about it, but they're being fired from their jobs in the hundreds. They're being dismissed from university in the hundreds for liking social media posts that are sympathetic to the Palestinian victims of the Israeli genocide in Gaza. Yeah. That is meanwhile, what gets them. Meanwhile, Anat Schwartz, who has no uh, journalistic background and has worked mm -hmm. for the IDF, mm -hmm. likes a post about turning Gaza into a slaughterhouse. And what does she get to be? The lead author on a New York Times front page story about alleged mass rape by Hamas. Yeah, written by Anat Schwartz and uh, Scott Templeton. That's a season five <laughs> of The Wire reference about a guy. Give it, who makes give it your up. special touch, Anat. Uh, yes. You're yeah, yeah the, I want to hear about the Dickensian aspect of the <laughs> Well, I mean, the, 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 I think what's going to happen is, mm -hmm. as you probably, it sounds like you all have been following this reporting very closely, but mm -hmm. what will happen is they will, a Anat Schwartz will be the scapegoat, right? Yes. They, of course. There will be no culpability because yes. who hired Anat Schwartz? How did she get the job in the first place? Yeah, you have she's the Judith Miller. Yes. She's Judith Miller. Yes. And meanwhile, Jeffrey Gettleman, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner, gets to keep his Pulitzer. And you know who <laughs> else is said, a Pulitzer Prize winner? Yeah, Scott Templeton, season that's five exactly of The Wire. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and his editors. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and he's, he literally said in an event, he's like, mm -hmm. I get, you know, I, I don't like to use this word evidence because mm -hmm. evidence is almost like, it's like a legal term. You know, yeah. my job is to like, tell a story and like yes. highlight people's voices. My job like is to, uh, I'm a know, fiction lie. writer, basically. I'm a novelist. <laughs> yeah, I'm a novelist. I'm a creative artist. Yeah. You know, I'm not, my, my, my responsibility is to my muse, not to the yeah. fact. You know, By the way, Zach, I just have to say this. I just have mm -hmm. to say this, Zach. Your Arabic is sexy AF. Like it your accent, really, like, really where good. did you learn to like pronounce learn, Arabic? Like, do you yeah, speak you the language? Talk good. How, yeah. dude, dude, my PhD is in Palestinian history. Hey, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but no, know, look, I spent, so I spent, good. I appreciate that very much. Look, the problem there are PhDs who can't, can't, can't make me to mess oh, with I, their accents. <laughs> <laughs> I will confess, I have a fetish for languages, okay. um, and um, I, I, I love languages. I especially love Arabic. And uh, look, if you spend as many years as I spent living in the Arab Middle East, mm -hmm. Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Egypt, um, you know, you're going to hopefully pick up the language. I've also spent 15, 20 years trying to learn it. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, yeah, it's been it's been a long time in the making. But... So I'm a professional lyricist for musical theater, and I have this observation about like Hebrew for lyrics versus like modern Hebrew for right. lyrics versus Arabic. And you tell me if I'm right. It just sounds to me. Like Hebrew is just a cheat code for lyrics because everything has these suffixes, right? Every mm. plural rhymes with every single, every masculine plural rhymes with every masculine right. plural. Every feminine plural rhymes with everything. Everything ends with, a, you know, a hey with like mm -hmm. just an aspirated, like an like an a sound, an ah, or yeah. a, it's just so easy to yeah. rhyme everything with everything, yeah. and it just doesn't sound dope. It doesn't flow when you hear Israeli rapping. It just sounds like yeah. Dr. Seuss, when Dr. you hear Seuss, Arabic, say, like, <laughs> also the rhythm, the rhythms of Arabic, the triplets, the like, it just has so much more of a, now I think biblical Hebrew has a poetic, more, more of a free verse poetic sensibility and, and, a, and in terms of imagery. And I, I understand it to be a very deep language, but somehow in the modern context, 
it's like anti-lyrical to me, whereas Arabic strikes me as just a just a, a language with such flow. Am I onto anything here? I'm trying to think of Hebrew rap. The only song I can think of is the Hadag Nachash song from like way back in the day. In Arabim, in Beguim. What about that? No, isn't that uh, what, what is that? Uh, that Shira, Shirata Sticker. Shirata Sticker. Right, but but there's a the, the the really popular one since October seventh. Oh, that one. It, oh. it has like a, a Lebanese Arabic title to it. Yeah, Habu uh, Chabu or something like, like that. Yeah, it's the one that's like calling out like Bella Hadid and Mia Khalifa. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But you have yeah. Dam, which is the very popular Palestinian rap group. Now you have Saint Levant and that mm -hmm. younger Palestinian from Gaza who he's rapping with. So I mean, they're rapping in English as well. But well, um, I'm, I, I gotta you know defend modern Hebrew here because here's the thing about modern Hebrew: if there's one thing we can all say about this wonderful, wonderful and original language, modern Hebrew is sababa. I think we can all agree with that. Yeah, your accent is quite refined there. Where did you learn yeah, Hebrew? Yeah. Sababa. Da 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 da. Sababa. Da 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 da. <laughs> Um, no, I don't want to. I don't want to diss an entire language. Like, no, there I was, are lovely. I was... <laughs> there are there are lovely songs in Hebrew. Yeah. When 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 non-fascists speak modern Hebrew, I love the sound of it. Me too. Same thing. Like yeah. German. German is the language of Goethe. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. the language of Himmler. You know. Yeah. Unfortunately, you uh, know, it takes all kinds. <laughs> but I just noticed this thing about just the, I don't know, the syntax of it that that made Arabic sound, yeah. cooler to me. But anyway. before uh, we we have to wrap up soon, and uh, I want to get to some news before we go. Um, so today we're gonna do a this week in headlines. Um, <clears throat> so first we're gonna start off with uh, what you guys probably already know if you have been following uh, the news. Um, so according to, uh, this is an article from AJ Plus: massacre, dozens killed by Israeli fire in Gaza while collecting food aid. Uh, so more than 100 Palestinians have been killed and some 700 others wounded after Israeli troops opened fire on hundreds waiting for food aid southwest of Gaza City. Uh, health officials say that the besieged enclave faces an unprecedented hunger crisis. Um, that doesn't sound right to me, Matt. The, the headlines I read in my Western sources called it a chaotic incident. Yeah, no. Uh, if you read anything um, that is written in America uh, and beyond, anything in the West, uh, they've yeah. uh, mostly described it as uh, a snafu. And like a Black or, Friday sale, or, yes, or a, yeah, or a yeah. run like 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 a run on Trader Joe's, exactly pre, pre hurricane or something. Yeah, uh, a a flash mob. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's akin, you know, akin to the knockout game. You know, your kids could be doing it. Um, you know, they just don't teach single file lines in Palestine. They culture. really don't. They really don't. Um, as you guys all know, uh, Israel and Zionist uh, activists have been stopping or severely limiting the flow of food and medical and other aid going into Gaza since the war began and way before that, as there is currently and before then a blockade, which has led to uh, directly to a famine in which starving Gazans are resorting to eating animal feed and uh, Israel is using their desperate state of hunger as a reason why over... 112 Palestinians are now dead and 750 wounded. Now, did you guys see the IDF's statement about this? Uh, if you haven't, 
I have it for you right here. This morning, humanitarian aid trucks entered northern Gaza. Residents surrounded the trucks and looted the supplies being delivered. As a result of the pushing, trampling, and being run over by the trucks, dozens of Gazans were killed and injured. Which you know, I was be, no. being run over by the trucks is a risk factor for for many many populations. Being many, I hate many. when yeah. I'm, when I'm being run over by the trucks. Yeah, when you are run over by the truck, uh, chances are there will be a wound and or injury to you or your person. Um, so they also released this drone footage. Did you guys see yeah. the drone footage they released? Yeah, I saw, it, look, it looks like it looks like an ant colony. That's exactly what it looks like, and it's exactly, I believe, what they were going for in releasing this footage because it is also completely silent. Uh, all you see is um, uh, just hungry, starving Palestinians uh, gathered together uh, like so many ants in an ant colony matt um, if they had if they had actually shot we would see those bullets in that footage yes, from about exactly. 600 feet up <laughs> from, from a thousand feet in the air from With space no sound. yes and this is this is it right here just um i mean look it, at those spermatozoa that they're trying I, I mean, right it just the complete dehumanization like the 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 entire like the footage is very clearly released for the reason of in the you know Zionist mindset of being right. like, look at them. Now, if you're uh, someone who has like empathy or feelings, you're looking at that and going, "Wow, this looks like a fucking desperate situation." And you're watching a truck run over people, and you're going, "What the fuck is happening here?" Um, and the reason that they didn't release it with sound is because if you had heard it with sound, you might actually hear what was going on on the ground. And I have video footage of that. <laughs> So that is the the IDF uh, shooting at starving uh, Gazans who have uh, been, you know, who have had all of their food aid either taken or stopped or just not given. Um, and of course, you know, uh, leading to a such a desperate situation in which they might uh, come out by the thousands in order to actually get something to eat. Um, it also takes a huge amount of chutzpah, as yes. Israelis would say. Mm -hmm. To describe clamoring desperately for food when you're starving as looting. Yes, yes. Completely. I mean, the word looting is already racially and class, class coded anytime anyone uses it because it means the rabble is trying to take what we withhold from them and trying to get more of what they need inside of, you know, onerous conditions. But in this case, the trucks pull up. People are literally starving, mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of jostling, and uh, there's some energy to the yeah. the attempt to to get. And you call that looting? I mean, that that's. Uh, I mean, and it's also a condition audacious. that they were put into by by, uh, by the yeah by the IDF, by the Israeli government, by uh, activist citizens of Israel who are blocking yeah. aid trucks, who are having little raves outside of uh, the only entry points into Gaza. Um, and when they're not doing that, they're just gathering in groups trying to run as far into Gaza as they can because they are settlers and they want to settle again. Um, so clearly- Including self-described liberals in those crowds. Yes, yes. Basically which, saying, I'm a liberal and I've just, I, yeah. did you see this Israeli actress who was on some talk show and, <laughs> and she, she, she sort of just proudly or just boldly, baldly confesses. Mm -hmm. She's like, 
October 7th murdered something in me. It murdered the humanitarian impulse. I'm still a leftist in a lot of other ways, but not this. I just right. don't care anymore. They're, they're, they're just not human to they're me. They're doing... And it was exactly... They're doing your sketch, Matt. I'm bad now. They were doing the I'm bad now sketch. They're doing... And it's like, you know, irony is dead at this point. I can't even be sarcastic anymore because it's too many real ghouls exist. Um... But yeah, if you're like anybody who saw this and, um, you know, is is not uh, just blindly taking the word of the IDF, you know uh, that what happened here is entirely the fault of the IDF uh, shooting at people and then also uh, running them over with the trucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the stampede itself, if you know, like is is a result of being shot at now. When this was pointed out, uh, when British journalist slash guy who enjoys my fake British accent, Owen Jones, tweeted about <laughs> the IDF massacre of Palestinians, uh, British-Israeli propagandist uh, Elon Levy, of course, he's back again, he, uh, he tweeted out, <clears throat> Blood libel! These poor people killed with it. We crushed your stampede, yeah. In some cases, run over by gauze and truck drivers trying to get out. David Beckham, fish and chips. See, Owen would have in loved it. Yeah, in there. You what? I can't, I can't even listen to Owen Jones. I can't listen to Owen Jones on... 1.5 or 1.75 X because the guy's accent is fucking brutal. It's like, I, I have to like slow that shit down just to understand what he's saying. Listen, he's watch gonna, out. You're, 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 you're talking about a former bad husband, I guess. You're talking about a beautiful man here with a beautiful voice. Uh, but listen, he's all British accents. He's been magnificent. He's really been magnificent. Oh, he's fantastic. Time, I but I mean, I think yeah. we can all agree British accent is probably, you know, a stain upon the earth. No, it sounds great. I love British people. I love the no no I love the fact that in such a tiny territory there's like like 40 accents. Yeah, yeah, there's 40 accents and they're all just saying, "Oh, want tea and crumpets." <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean it. British listeners, you know I love you. Um but yes, so Elon Levy has gone on to talk about blood libel a bunch. Uh, I think blood mm. libel has been one of those things thrown out the most in the last five months by, uh, you know, bad faith actors, uh, Israeli propagandists, Hasbaris, all of uh, all of them. I mean, you see it everywhere, including uh, my absolute favorite is when Elon Levy once again is back and he is accusing all of South Africa of uh, blood libel because they brought this case of genocide against uh, Israel at the ICJ. I mean, you keep hearing it over and over again. And if you're not, if you're new to Israeli propaganda, um, if you're new to the subject in general, you're probably confused about his characterization of things as blood libel. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> we have a new segment in town. Uh, this is a segment where I'm going to cover uh, anti-Semitic tropes and how Israel uses them to excuse war crimes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Blood Libel. Blood Libel. <laughs> Uh, I thought I thought I was clever for Liebensraum, but this is this is this is great. Listen, my name has got a lot of got a lot of ways to do puns. Um, 
This is Blood Libel. Today we're talking about Blood Libel. Uh, what is it? What isn't it? Um, do you guys know what Blood Libel actually is? Are you familiar with it? Yeah, it's the, the idea that Jews make matzah from Christian babies' plasma. That's exactly right. Um, so blood libel is basically uh, so rarely do that. Only on special occasions. <laughs> like Come yeah, on. like once a year maybe. Um, There's so many different ways to make you know a rest. It's like one variation on the recipe, and we get tarred with it for the rest of our lives. Come on. <laughs> just, just a few times, you know, a little blood, and all of a sudden people go crazy. Look, um, blame but- Autolenghi. I'm just reading it out of the fucking book. <laughs> this is it was in the Moosewood Cookbook. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, blood libel uh, is this <laughs> is this old anti-Semitic canard which falsely accuses Jews of murdering Christians in order to use their blood in the per- performance of uh, religious rituals or uh, in uh, making their matzah. It very specifically, it refers to um, Christian children who are being uh, you know taken uh, and having their blood harvested and then being used to you know, put in the Jews matzah, which is obvious. I mean, like if you've ever tried matzah, you know, this isn't true because matzah is very bland. It certainly doesn't have that blood texture and or flavor. So, um, yeah, uh, it originally emerged in late antiquity and it was again revived, uh, a millennium later as a Christian slander against Jews in the medieval period. And then it was revived again in modern European antisemitism. This has been around for thousands of years. Uh, and has remained uh, largely unchanged. The charge has remained consistent as it's about doing ritual killings to harvest blood from children and either drink it or eat it. That's the claim. That is what blood libel is. What blood libel is not, it is not um, when you accuse Israel of doing bad. Doing things they did. Yes. Uh, Just saying Israel uh, is doing something like killing someone, is not blood libel, uh, especially no, much closer, much closer to blood libel mm-hmm. is obsessively, almost fetishistically repeating mm-hmm. horror stories about yes. horrific and increasingly horrific with every passing day and the telling of it and the kind of a game of broken genocidal telephone things being done to babies just for the fuck of it, like just yes. just for kicks, you know? Yes. Uh, 40 beheaded babies. You debunk it, it comes back. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you, you name any, it. I mean, like ripping libel. the baby out, out of a womb and then beheading that baby and beheading the mother. I mean, this, this idea of like this ritualistic killing, um, you know, uh, especially in this kind of like almost satanic sense, um, yep. that is more akin to blood libel. And I think, and even, more uh you know appropriate example if you want to talk about what blood blood libel looks like um <clears throat> a very good example is from uh Yoav Gallant who uh, is a former uh he is a Knesset member and a former IDF uh general who tweeted this right here um in January those who seek justice will not find it in the operational plans found in the pockets of Nukba terrorists uh, who were instructed to, quote, drink the blood of the Jews. Uh, so that's pretty close to blood libel, uh, I, I would think, say. I think every Israeli accusation 
is a confession. I think this is a perfect example of that. Yes. Whereby the the these uh, <clears throat> genocide apologists um, are accusing uh, uh, the the world of uh, of attacking Israel and thus of 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 carrying out a blood libel when in fact, as you correctly pointed out, Matt, the the, the litany of uh, of lies and propaganda that mm -hmm. Israel and its supporters have been spreading since October seventh around yes. uh, uh, around what happened on that day. Yes. Not just not just the forty beheaded babies, uh, not just the a pregnant woman who had the baby ripped out uh, um, <clears throat> and then beheaded, not just the babies in the ovens, not right. just not not just the uh, mass rape atrocities, um, but but it's but but you have dozens and dozens of accusations hiding behind civilians, yes. right? When in fact, actually, multiple in multiple instances since October seventh, we've actually have examples of Israelis using Palestinians as human shields. Yes, it's this litany of lies that Israel uses genocide that really resembles the blood libel that they're accusing their uh, detractors of, of, of they're also obsessed right. with finding things in palestinians pockets yes and bedrooms yes. and lingerie and whatever and here's another wire reference for you matt we could do this all day yes we could what who was it you know when when kima is now new on the homicide unit and bunks uh -huh. like isn't that something in the in the vic's hand and <laughs> And she finds this rolled up thing. Tater and says, shot me. Tater yeah. shot me. You know, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's just this initiation prank, you know, just these planted yes. things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what's striking about this, um, you know, these kinds of accusations, um, you know, and what this is what's striking about blood libel in general. Well, first of all, you can't remove the blood from blood libel. The blood is is the thing. And and the blood, what that represents, the idea of eating the blood, drinking the blood, all that stuff, it just uh, is satanic, monstrous behavior. And the reason that you accuse people of this is so that you can uh, punish them for something they did not do. You can punish an entire group of people as they did with Jews. Uh, whenever a child went missing in a fucking town or whatever, they would say the Jews nearby, they stole the baby and they're fucking using the blood for matzah. Like it was a way in order to uh, oppress and act unjustly towards Jews in the exact same way that, for example, Ahead Tamimi um, <clears throat> had, uh, was arrested uh, recently, this was in November, and it was alleged that she had tweeted or that she had written on Instagram, we'll drink your blood and eat your skulls. Uh, so in reality, what actually happened was uh, her Instagram account was hacked as it has been for many, many years. Uh, and this was put into her Instagram and was used as a pretext to arrest her. Um, and, you know, you can see why you would want to arrest her if you're the IDF. Uh, because she is one of the, you know, uh, at least she's known in America as someone who is, you know, as a child who was fighting the occupation. And if you've ever uh, like read anything written by Ahead Tamimi, you know she didn't write this fucking bullshit. You know, um, she she did a great book um, with my friend uh, Dina from AJ Plus. Um, called They Called Me a Lioness. And you just like see from like reading that book and the writing style and everything, like she is 
far more thoughtful than we will eat your skull. It was just, to me, it's very obvious. Oh, no, but, but it's kind of, I, I can understand it, though, because she looks so much like Marilyn Manson that people yes, might get their poetry right. mixed up, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were just like, yeah, you know, they're, they're confusing her with Marilyn Manson, sure. You know what's interesting, Matt, about this, this blood libel accusation is that you know, obviously there were uh, th there was a massacre committed on October seventh, and and innocent yes. civilians were killed. But yes. that was not, but but that was known to everybody. Yes. For, for you know, already by October eighth, everybody knew that. Yes. But by November, by December, after ten thousand, after twenty thousand yes. Palestinians had been slaughtered, it no longer was enough right. for the world. Uh, yes. That that okay, they killed seven hundred and sixty four Israeli civilians. That wasn't enough. And that heroin so, went, that heroin was stepped on at that point. That right, exactly. They needed to they needed to get that pure, that raw. That's that right. That was just some dry, swaggity, swaggity yeah, yeah. cyanide That's right. weed. That's oh, what yeah. it was. Yeah, and cyanide, so they, cyanide. <laughs> we got that cyanide here. And, cyanide here. Pandemic. You know, yeah. You know. You know what's interesting as well. If you look at uh, lynchings in the American yes. uh, uh, context from uh, the end of slavery to World War II, it was not killing that w that uh, you know white people accused black people of. It was rape. It was rape. Right? That's because right. They, they need to find something that is so egregious that you know, and, and rape was most was the most common accusation leveled against a black person mm -hmm. uh, for for these lynchings. Yes. And I think that's not. And I don't do not think it's a coincidence that the Israeli propaganda machine curated the witnesses, um, the Zakat people made up so many lies. Yes. They made up testimonies. The, mm -hmm. the, the eyewitnesses changed their stories multiple times. Yes. Roz Cohen changed his story. They mm -hmm. they fool the witnesses into telling them they're doing a story about X when they do it about Y. Right. So they had to contrive and co you know, concoct this story. They they don't yeah. have to be that extreme. You know, they could just do like the Southern whites did. I mean, Israelis mm -hmm. would have the same genocidal reaction if they just said that the Palestinian, you know, uh, militiamen burst into kibbutzim and whistled at the women. Right, exactly. You know, just do just the just do the Emmett Till thing. Just you yeah. know, a little lighter touch. And, I actually, I was at yeah. Newark Airport coming mm. back from Europe uh, last week. And like I was in the customs line with a very unhappy looking older dude in a Zaka uniform. Oh. And his very unhappy looking wife. And I just was like, so creeped out, you know? Yeah. Very and I was I was wearing my Stop the Genocide uh, <laughs> yeah. baseball cap, you know? Yeah. And oh, wow. It was all, it's like, dude, like to be a part of that organ, he just looked like a, like a, yeah. A, just an agent of evil to me. Yeah. Well, I, I think that to me is, is uh, just to end this portion and the podcast um is a great point to make because like you have to remember that like hasbaris are claiming these things as blood libel like what they are claiming is that um to believe that uh to insinuate that uh, a jewish person or israel or the israeli government would do, ever do something that is cruel uh is anti-semitic and you know if that if an israeli soldier kills it kills because it must kill if it starves you it's because you must starve in order to save more people like the this this whole idea to me of saying jews are not capable of this and to claim that they are is anti-semitic i actually believe that othering of jews in and of itself is anti-semitic like humans jews are humans we are capable of empathy. We are capable of cruelty. We are not special or different. 
uh, the same standards apply to us as that they would apply to anybody else. And to, to otherize that, us is, yeah. in my opinion, to it doesn't matter if you're making us subhuman or superhuman. Or superhuman you, are, yeah. uh, you are othering us. And that is anti-Semitic. Anti or philo-Semitism anti yes. amounts to the same thing. But not only that, like if you wanted to generate generalized hatred towards a group, you would want them to act as obnoxiously as possible. Now, what is more obnoxious? Hmm than browbeating and lecturing the world yes. about their alleged hatred of you while you commit the most heinous crimes most people have ever seen in their lifetimes. Yeah. It's the most... Dis and then we wonder, why do they hate us? Of course, if they hate us, I completely understand. Now, I don't <laughs> advocate it. It would of be course. based on a misunderstanding. Right. It would be you know? based on the same kind of like broad racism that Premise. the Israelis like to do. Right, they, but they count on it. Israel yes. is both an anti-Semitism, um, it, it runs on anti-Semitism, and it produces anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's like the input and the output is anti-Semitism. It needs it, it yes. manufactures it. If, it. if it can't manufacture it, it fabricates it. Yeah. But that's its entire raison d'etre and its entire lifeblood. But I, I have a new business idea, guys. I'm going to open a weed shop. Ooh. I'm going to call it Bud Libel. Oh my God! Uh, you're making me can you, can you question my sobriety. Just please promise me you're gonna carry Jack Herrera. That's all I ask. <laughs> okay, that got real serious for a hot minute. Look, <laughs> um, carry what? Also some, Sorry. Also, some uh, Jack Herrera and Afghan Kush. That's all I ask. Um, no, but nice. Uh, you know, I think like. Even even the claims of anti-Semitism are oftentimes themselves manufactured. Yes, you recall yes. that back in the May 2021 war, um, when Israel killed something like 254 Palestinians, um, you know, th th there's always these reports. Oh, there's all oh, the rise in anti-Semitism, but in fact, what you have instead is the the ADL, the uh, Apartheid Defense League. Um, they <clears throat> basically what they do is they define anti-Semitism as criticism of Israel, and then they're like, "Look, look at all these protests yes. against Isra Israeli war crimes in yes. Gaza. Yes. The look rise, hence the rise of anti-Semitism." I couldn't believe it when I saw this new Times cover article called "The New Anti-Semitism." Literally yeah. 15 years ago, Norman Finkelstein was giving lectures and maybe even put out a, a pamphlet or a book about how every time Israel wants to commit a massacre, there is it's you, you can time it. Yes, the rise of "quote unquote" the new the new anti-Semitism. Anti at this and point, it's the it, oldest canard <laughs> in modern like anti-Semitism discourse. They've been saying it's yeah. new for at least fifty years. Yeah, and the and the author of that article proudly tweeted it. Was like, I made my best attempt to give a sophisticated, nuanced uh, oh rendering of the new anti-Semitism. Well, you know, and people were like, yeah. "You failed." Yeah. Noah Feldman, the same guy who was brought in to help reconstruct Iraq after her, the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003, by the way. Um, so, you know, that I actually did not realize he was such a, a, a genocide apologist, but here we are. Yeah. Well, I agree with something you said, uh, Daniel, about Israel running on anti-Semitism and, you know, creating it as well. Israel is anti-Semitism is to Israel as Dunkin' Donuts is to America. 
You As know? Tim Hortons is to Canada. That's exactly right. <laughs> Israel runs on anti-Semitism, and America runs on Duncan. Go to Dunkin' Donuts, promo code, <laughs> Israel is genociding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't have that sponsor. Promo code, blood label. Blood label, yes. Um, guys, that's been the episode. I got to go pick up my baby. Thank you guys so much, of course, for coming on. Uh, co-host, uh, sometimes co-host Daniel Mate, where can people find you? Is that the opening line? Mashlom Habitch. Yeah, it's Mashlom Habitch, a Revan Boker Tov. We invented the cherry tomato. What I like about that line, Mashlom Habitch, is that by saying Mashlom Ha, you're talking to a guy. You're talking to a guy. It undercuts any accusations of misogyny right out of the bat. That's right. Yeah. 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 Where can people find you? And then you could also do Mashlom Ech, dude. Yeah. 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 They can find me, Daniel B. Mate, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I have two websites for various things I do. DanielMate.com for musical theater. WalkWithDaniel.com for my mental chiropractic service. What is that? Go find out. Yeah. Check that out. You'll see the links in the bio. Uh, Zach Foster, where can people find your work? You can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, <laughs> at underscore Zach Foster. And you can find me on uh, my my newsletter, my my wonderful newsletter on Palestine, you can subscribe to. That's palestinenexus.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Zachary underscore underscore Foster underscore underscore. Yeah, check check all that out. Sorry, my Just wife's... to underscore the point. <laughs> yeah, my wife's <laughs> looking for her phone. But uh, all right, Zach, it was wonderful having you on. Uh, you're a fantastic guest. And please come back anytime. Uh, Daniel, I love you so much. And uh, bad has bar, uh, bad has bar at gmail.com for all your uh, questions, comments, and concerns. And I'm going to be playing a uh, voicemails soon. I got some really good ones that I think people are going to uh, love. Um, Patreon.com slash bad has All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And until next time, from the river to the sea, Elon uh, Levy, suck my D. Jumping jacks was us, push-ups was us, Krav Maga us, all karate us, taking molly us, Michael Jackson us, Yamaha keyboards us, Jar Jar Binks not us, Andor was us, Heath Ledger Joker us, Endless Red Success, Happy Meals was us, McDonald's was us, Being Happy us, Bikram Yoga us, Eating Food us, Breathing Air us, Drinking Water us. We invented all that shit.